important as other people. I thought that you know adults were more important and boys were more important um, than I was. And I was taught that, um, that I was to, if somebody did something bad, that I was to turn the other cheek. I was not to tell them to stop. I was not to um, say anything to them. And certainly if I did say something to them, I should not expect anything to happen. Um, that the other person would be reprimanded or that um, there'd be some restitution to me, that that wasn't how uh, life was. And I thought, you know, that was how Canadian girls were. And certainly Christian Canadian girls did not get angry, <laughs> right? We were polite and quiet and turned the other cheek. And that's what I, um, that's what I believed. Uh, that's what I was taught. And of course, of course, I had people who loved me. Um, and they did their best to help me. However, the people who loved me also did not know how to stand up for themselves. And they were not able to teach me how to stand up for myself. Um, and when I got to university, I had a couple of good friends who started like showing me what it looked like to be healthy and to stand up for yourself, because I had never seen that um, in my life before. And I remember I was eating uh, corn for dinner one night because I had $20 a week for groceries, and corn was cheap and I liked it. So I was having corn for dinner one night, and uh, we had a friend over, and he started getting on me about just eating corn for dinner. I don't know why he thought that was bad, but he thought that was bad. He started getting on me, and my roommate took him right on and told him what he could do and where he could go if he didn't like it and that he should just leave me alone. And I was like, oh, I didn't know you could talk that way. <laughs> I was shocked. And he stopped like doing that. That was probably the second time in my life I remember somebody standing up for me. And certainly the first time anyone did it with any ferocity, I was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> um, and I started noticing that other people, other girls, other women would stand up for themselves and expect something to happen about it. And I remember being at church and the pastor said, you know, when Jesus was at the Sanhedrin before he was crucified, you know, one of them there hit him and what did Jesus do? And I was like, he punched him back. No, I didn't think that I was a Christian girl. I knew, I knew that he um, said to the man, why did you hit me? And I was like, oh, well, if Jesus says something, maybe I could say something. So I, I got a little bit bolder. And then um, another year, I was in another house. I always lived with a whole bunch of Christian girls in university. And um, two of the girls, they always did, uh, they always did fireworks. And I didn't really like that they did fireworks. And um, I, I didn't like because they would shoot them and they would land across the street on people's balconies. And this one day, they um, were throwing fireworks out the window at our other roommate. And I thought, you know, I can say something about this. <laughs> so I went upstairs and I said, you know, uh, please don't throw fireworks at our roommates. That's not safe. And the one girl said, oh, I'm so sorry. And the other girl said, you can't tell me what to do. You're not my dad. And I thought, well, that's true. I'm not her dad. <laughs> so um, what happened was, oh, and I need this here. Okay. So what happened was, there was two houses of Christian girls. So there's 10 of us all together. And by the next day, all the Christian girls in our houses knew that I had asked them to stop. 
uh, throwing fireworks and they had said no. So, oh well, I didn't tell them, but they knew. And so that night I went to church. Um, it was a Friday night. They had a special speaker. And the girl who had thrown the firecracker also went to church but from my house. But I didn't know she was going. We went in separate cars. And so we got there. And there's maybe six of the girls from the two houses there. And the speaker came out. And he was obviously um, perhaps disabled or there was something wrong with his face um, and the skin that we could see. So we were waiting, you know, for what he was going to say. And so he gave his testimony. His testimony was that when he was a child, um, he and his brother and a friend were in the backyard camping in a canvas tent. And the backyard that backed onto them, there were two teenagers doing fireworks and they threw fireworks over the fence, not being able to see what was there. And it landed on the tent and the tent burst into flame. And his father, this speaker, his father saw it, ran out, put his hands into the flint tent, pulled out whatever was there. He pulled out he and his brother and the other child died in the fire. That was the testimony that night. And I was like, so I was looking straight ahead. I wasn't, I wasn't, but all the other girls were looking at the one girl who, um, who had thrown fireworks and it told me that she was just gonna keep doing it. And that was the first time I knew God was standing up for me. I knew he was. I mean, I knew the Bible said vengeance is mine and you know, I thought maybe in eternity that was gonna be the case, but I didn't think it was gonna happen like in my lifetime that night that God was gonna like so clearly stand up and say, that was right, what I did, and it was not okay to throw fireworks. And um, after that, I got a lot more bold at um, standing up for myself and really was more convinced that it was okay and that people shouldn't treat me badly. Um, and so a few years later, I feel like I had this experience that really cinched it for me. I was teaching grade three, and um, my grade three students had an agenda, and they had to fill out their homework every night. And then I would sign it and send it home, and then that, that way the parents would know what homework they had, and then they would finish it and bring it back. But one of my students never did his homework. So I called the parents and said, you know, I signed the agenda, please make sure you check it. They said, sure, sure. And, Two weeks later, he still wasn't bringing home his homework, and I found out that he had stolen another agenda. And the agenda that I was signing, he left at school, and he took the other agenda home with no homework in it. So his parents thought there was no homework. Smart kid. So, <laughs> yeah, smart kid. So I called, you know, I called home, and I got his dad, and I explained what had happened, and I said, I don't know where he got that agenda from. So just to be clear, I sign his agenda every night, and that way you'll know that is the homework he has. So if there's no signature then, but his dad started getting mad at me, like what had happened was my fault. And he's getting mad and raising his voice over the phone and I'm thinking, no, I think this isn't okay. And I think I'm allowed to say something here. And so, you know, he was pretty loud by then. And so I said, sir, are you saying that it's my fault your son didn't do his homework? No, 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 he said, I'm not saying, oh good, I said, I'm glad. <laughs> and that was sort of, I can say that was the first time I really stood up for myself and knew that I did. And I'm still learning like how to do it well, like how strong should my voice be and how long do I wait before I speak to the person so I'm not angry. But now I know it's not okay to say bad things to me and to steal from me. And that was really um, a big change in my life where I had this ungodly belief that changed to a godly belief. And that's what I wanna talk about today is uh, ungodly beliefs.
Okay. So uh, what I'd like to do today is talk about the objectives. Yeah. Uh, so to help people understand false beliefs or ungodly beliefs and to help people identify our own false beliefs and replace them with godly beliefs. That's what we want to do today. These ungodly beliefs are lies, lies about ourselves, about others, and about God. They affect all of our actions. So it's a lie, but we might believe it because our experience says it's true. So my experience said that even if I told adults, nothing would happen. Right? My experience said that it was okay to treat me badly, but that's not the truth in God's word. Right? So what happened was I was wearing these glasses that were colored with this belief, right? Sort of like those blue glasses on the picture. And every time I look through things, I was looking through this lens. Um, and so even if the truth walked right in front of me, I wouldn't have recognized it because it would have been colored colored by what I believed. And so we need God to help us take off those glasses, that lens of how we see things and show us what the truth is. And that's what we're hoping to do today. Um, so Romans 12, 2 says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that's what we want to know. God, what is your will? Okay, so the definition of a belief system is a set of lenses that contains such things as beliefs, decisions, attitudes, agreements, judgments, expectancies, and inner vows. Um, so uh, just like on Wednesday night, you're going to hear a teaching about um, bitter root judgments, yeah? So that we also have teachings about inner vows, and so as you come, you'll hear these teachings over and over, and it's so good to hear them over and over, because every time I hear them, I'm, something new pops to my mind. Um, recently, God's been talking to me about my daydreams, and did I realize that in my daydreams, I was still a victim? I was like, oh, that's true. When I daydream, like if I just let my mind wander, there's these situations in my mind that are still a victim, and he wants me to change that. So I'm still, right, realizing ungodly beliefs are still in me and changing how I behave, how I believe. Um, so ungodly beliefs are formed through life's experiences, so, for example, my niece thought that only teenagers kissed because she never saw her parents kiss. And she was like, what? When she found out my sister and her husband kissed, she's like, what? You guys kiss? I was like this. So she thought adults didn't kiss because she'd never seen them kiss. So, <laughs> you know, if you never see an adult kiss, maybe you think adults don't kiss. <laughs> They're formed through our natural mind, right? So when things happen to us, we have these ideas. And they're not God's ideas. They're just from what happened, right? Um, our family heritage, perhaps, um, in, your, in our family, there's different beliefs. Like in my family, when I was young, um, we always, um, we had enough money, but not a lot. And so there's sort of a poverty mentality in our family that even if we had more, we wouldn't have enough. Um, and so I remember when I was an adult and I realized this, I said to my dad, Dad, how much more money a month would you need to feel like you had enough money? He said, $100 a month more and I would feel like I had enough money. I said, great, I'm gonna give you $100 a month because I have a good job now and I can do that. He's like, no, no, no. I'm like, why not? Then you'll feel like you have enough money. But he wouldn't take the money from me, right? So they come from our family, these deeply rooted ideas about what's true and what's not true. Maybe in your family, um, Christian families didn't have a lot of money, didn't have fancy cars, didn't have big houses, you know, that was being proud. Or maybe in your family, God blessed Christians, and if you didn't have enough money, then you obviously weren't doing something right. You know, our families teach us 
things and we believe it. Um, and repetition. So the same thing happens over and over again, right? We hear it over and over again. If a uh, parent says, you know, you'll never amount to anything, you'll never amount to anything, you'll never amount to anything, that's not what God says, right? God says we're his beloved children. But where there's repetition, we begin to believe it. And uh, the fun thing about that is God would like to repeat back to us the things that are true. You know, you're wonderful, you're great. Sometimes I say, you know, when I'm journaling, I know it's God because he's so super mushy and I would never be that mushy. I would never write that mushy stuff in my journal. Oh, I love you, Amanda, you're so great, you're so wonderful. I'm like, God, you're so mushy. Like, <laughs> right? And then he always says it. I'm like, oh my goodness, God, you can stop telling me I'm wonderful now. He's like, no, I don't think I will. <laughs> So, you know, he likes to repeat over and over to us about how wonderful we are. Yeah. Um, and misguided comfort. Sometimes um, when we're kids and we fall down and cry, then our parents say, oh, it's okay, you're okay, right? They don't want us to cry or be hurt. And so sometimes kids grow up thinking, oh, it's not okay to cry. Or I grew up believing it wasn't okay to be angry, right? So it's, they're trying to help us um, not experience pain because of course we don't want our kids to experience pain but um, yeah sometimes we get the wrong idea okay so the next one so there's this cycle that happens right this belief expectation cycle so we have um, an experience so my experience was that um, when I beat the boys in uh, sports and they didn't like it and they kicked me that nothing happened that happened a lot, <laughs> that I would be, uh, that I would uh, receive like bad words or bad actions because the boys were really angry at me for beating them at sports. And thankfully I don't beat them anymore. But when I was young, <laughs> when I was young, that happened a lot. And so um, I understood from that experience that when I told teachers, nothing would happen. And so I came to believe that it was okay that if I beat them at sports, they could do bad things, right? They could say bad things, they could do bad things, that was okay. And I came to expect it. I knew that when I beat them, uh, like when I beat them at a race, or when I jumped farther than them in standing long jump, or when um, we were playing floor hockey and I got a goal, that they were going to say bad things. They were going to try and hit me with their hockey sticks, and I would have to be careful about my feet, and the teacher wouldn't stop that, right? Like, so I came to expect that. And then what happened was I stopped telling the teachers what was happening, right? Because how many times can you say he hit me with a hockey stick before the teacher's like, oh my goodness, just stop, you know, and not have the teacher stop them from doing that, right? Like how many times can that happen before I stop telling? So I stopped telling, right? So pretty young, probably grade two. By grade two, I was no longer telling teachers when something like that happened anymore. And because I didn't tell them, it just happened again. And the cycle went around and around in the circle. And I didn't know that there was a way to stop it. But I love, I love, what is that Amy Schwimmer movie where she thinks she's beautiful? She hits her head and believes she's beautiful? Yeah, okay, you have to watch, so funny. So this girl, she, she has like a bad body image and then she hits her head and wakes up believing she's beautiful. And what? I feel pretty. Okay, you all have to go home and watch the clips from I Feel Pretty on YouTube. It's hilarious. So she wakes up believing that she's beautiful when before, that like literally the day before, she didn't think so. And she goes up to her friends and says, you know, I know you can't believe how beautiful I am now. 
I'm just so beautiful right now. <laughs> and so what happened was she had this belief that she was beautiful, right? And she had these expectations that people would treat her like she's beautiful. So when she had a conversation with a guy in a line, she expected that he was trying to pick her up. He was not, but she expected it. And so she acted like he was trying to pick her up and all like confident. And she even enters like a bikini contest and, you know, and her experiences, people like, oh, good for you. That's awesome. And they treat her well. And the whole belief expectation cycle has changed, right? That's how it happens with God. We don't hit our heads. Hopefully that's not part of it. Um, but he shows us that it is kind of like a hit on the head. You're like, oh my goodness, I've been seeing it wrong this whole time. My mom says, you know it's God when you can't believe you didn't see it before. It's so obvious. Okay, so the results of ungodly beliefs. Um, ungodly beliefs, by definition, are an unbelief which blocks our faith in God and the truth of his promises. They also hinder God's ability to bless us because faith is a key component in the release of God's blessing. And now we don't know we're not having faith. We think we're just living reality. But in actual fact, it's a lack of faith in God and in what his word says. Hebrews 11:6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So our ungodly beliefs undermine our relationship with God. We might think, no matter how hard I try, it will not be enough to please God. We might think, God is waiting for me to make a mistake, or God cares for others more than he cares for me. Um, in... Uh, let's see, third year university, um, one of the girls who become a Christian the year before in the Christian fellowship lived with us, and she was a new Christian. And um, at the Christian group, we had this movie this one time about how people saw God. And so the first little clip was of Santa Claus in heaven throwing gifts down to people below on earth. And then the second view of God was this angry policeman with his hand up, and he's like, look, he's going to make a mistake. He's going to make a mistake, you know, and hitting him. For, and then the third one was a grandfather with a long beard sleeping. And, <laughs> and then they showed a clip of a really great father with a, with a little child being a really good father. And my friend thought that all of those were true clips of how God was. See, she didn't know that the first three were lies people believed, right? That's sort of like how we are, right? We have, we don't know it, but we have a wrong view of God and a wrong view of ourselves. And God's wanting to show us like the right view of ourselves and the right view of uh, him. And then we can have faith and please God because Song of Solomon, in Song of Solomon, it says, with one glance at God, we move his heart. Like if we wake up at 6.30 in the morning to go to communion and then we fall back asleep, God is like, look, they woke up at 6.30 to spend time with me. He does not say, get up, what are you doing? <laughs> right? Like he's like, wow, they looked at me one glance, one glance. Right? It's hard for us to believe that sometimes. You know, Jesus talked a lot about rewards, about all the rewards there's going to be in heaven. And I think we're going to be amazed at the rewards in heaven. Like, you know, for glancing at him at 630 and then being like, nope. <laughs> and then we get a reward for that because he loves us and we don't really get it as much as he does. Okay, God's truth. Uh, God's truth says in 1 Corinthians 2, 
verses 14 to 15. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. This is saying that the Holy Spirit will help us understand what is true and what is not true, right? Like, we can, have you ever had where you're trying to convince someone, like they're dating someone who's not good for them, and you're trying to convince them that this person is just trying to take their money, or they're dating online, I have a friend like this, dates online, never meets the person, and is in love with the person, and we're telling her, this is not a real person. Like, you have to meet them before you fall in love. And we cannot convince her of that because her self-image is so poor, right? She thinks that she deserves bad treatment, you know? And so what this verse is saying is God with his spirit is going to help us see truly what's going on, see truly who we are. So first thing we have to do is to change our mind about the God, to change our mind to line up with God's truth and not the facts of experience. So the facts of experience say, right now I have degenerative disease in my back and arthritis in my back, hands and feet. And so my experience says that hurts. But God's truth says that Jesus died and that by his stripes I am healed, today I am healed. And his truth says that, um, that his healing is my bread, the children's of God bread. And so I understand that that still hurts, but I understand that those are from the enemy and not from God. Those are not for me and that I'm choosing to believe in God's healing. So you will see every time they say, if you need prayer in your body, I always stand up, <laughs> right? Because I'm choosing to believe that God will heal me, in fact, that he wants to heal me. And every night after dinner, my mom and I pray. We pray for each other to be healed of arthritis, and we pray for other people to be healed as well. And what I'm saying is I'm lining up my actions and my behavior with what God says and not with my experience. If I were to line up my actions and behavior with my experience, I would spend a lot more money on um, things that may or may not help my body. And, and I think it's okay. Like, I have spent money on things that have helped my body. <laughs> you know, I think that's okay. But I also think that I'm expecting. I'm expecting God to heal. So I'm lining up, yeah, my actions. And then we need to recognize that this is a battle. As soon as we say, um, yes, I am worth fighting for, the enemy says, no, you're not, <laughs> right? Like the enemy's gonna come in and it's a battle every day. Every day in the morning, I pray and God tells me I'm wonderful and that I'm doing well because if I didn't spend time with him, I would naturally think, I'm really not doing very well. That's where my mind naturally goes, I should be doing more, right? I should, I should, I should. Mary Audrey says, don't should on yourself. Um, so, <laughs> You know, like, yeah, that's right. That's what Mary Audrey says. She's a speaker at the, one of the pastors at the airport campus. So, you know, I need to spend time with God so I can hear that I'm doing well because I need him to tell me that every day, like literally every day, or I will think I'm not doing well. Yeah. And then we need to ask for revelation, not just information. So when... Um, when the speaker stood up and said that he was disfigured by fireworks, that wasn't just information. 
that was a revelation to my heart that God was standing up for me, right? Like, it's, it's one thing to receive what people say. It's another to know it. Oh, this is really real. This is really true. And that's what we need Holy Spirit for. So I have four pages of various uh, common ungodly beliefs. I'm going to read through them quickly. Please feel free to take pictures of them. Um, and this is just to help you think, what are some ungodly beliefs? And maybe I'll read one that's kind of similar to um, something you believe, and you might realize it. So as I go through, if there's one where you think, oh, that's me, just make a note of it or take a picture of it with your phone. So the first theme is rejection and not belonging. So these are thoughts people have that are ungodly beliefs. I don't belong. I will always be on the outside and left out. My feelings don't count. No one cares what I feel. No one will love me or care about me just for myself. I will always be lonely. The special man or woman in my life will not be there for me. I will isolate myself so that I won't be vulnerable to hurt rejection anymore. In the theme of unworthiness, guilt, and shame. I am not worthy to receive anything from God. I am the problem. When someone is wrong, it's my fault. My mom calls that a guilt catcher. She used to be a guilt catcher. <laughs> um, I'm a bad person. If you knew the real me, you would reject me. I must wear a mask so that people won't find out how horrible I am and reject me. In the theme of doing to achieve self-worth, value, and recognition, I will never get credit for what I do. My value is in what I do. I am valuable because I do good to others, because I am successful. Even when I do my best, it's not good enough. I choose to be passive in order to avoid conflict that would risk others' disapproval. God doesn't care if I have a secret life as long as I appear to be good. In the theme of control, to avoid being hurt, I have to plan every day of my life. I have to continually plan and strategize. I can't relax. The perfect life is one in which no conflict is allowed, and so there is peace. Under the theme of physical, especially physical appearance, I am unattractive. God shortchanged me. I am doomed to have certain physical disabilities. They are just part of what I have inherited. It is, important, it is impossible to lose or gain weight. I am just stuck. Can I tell you that my roommate in university, one of them could not gain weight? And some of you are like that. I forgive you. <laughs> I am not competent as a man or a woman. Okay, theme, safety and protection. I must be very guarded about what I say since anything I say may be used against me. I have to guard and hide my emotions and feelings. I cannot give anyone the satisfaction of knowing that they have wounded or hurt me. I will not be vulnerable, humiliated or shamed. Under retaliation, the correct way to respond if someone offends me is to punish them by withdrawing or cutting them off. Under the theme of victim, authority figures will humiliate me and violate me. They will just use me and abuse me. My value is based totally on others' judgment perception about me. I am completely under their authority. I have no will or choice of my own. I will not be known, understood, loved, or appreciated for who I am by those close to me. Under the theme of helplessness or hopelessness, I am out there all alone. If I get into trouble or need help, there is no one to rescue me. Under defective relationships, I will never be able to fully give or receive love. I do not know what love is. If I let anyone get close to me, I may get heartbroken again. I can't let myself risk it. If I fail to please you, I won't receive your pleasure and acceptance of me. Therefore, I must strive even more. I must do whatever is necessary to try to please you. That's perfectionism. Under the theme of God, 
God loves other people more than he loves me. God only values me for what I do. My life is just a means to an end. No matter how much I try, I'll never be able to do enough or to do it well enough to please God. God is judging me when I relax. I have to stay busy about his work or he will abandon me. God has let me down before. He may do it again. I can't trust him or feel secure with him. So um, there's many, many more. Those are just examples to help us sort of think, oh, that one kind of looks a little bit like me. Um, or maybe some of them sound like your parents, your parents' voice, or maybe Aunt Martha's voice. <laughs> what are you doing with your hair? Go comb your hair, <laughs> right? Like, and we believe that our hair will never be attractive, right? That seems like a small thing, but that's an ungodly belief that our hair will never be attractive, right? Like, so if these remind you of a voice you heard, or if you think, oh, maybe that sounds a bit like me, I encourage you just write one of them down. Because what we're gonna do today, we're going to take these ungodly beliefs and ask God to help change them into godly beliefs. Um, and so I just wanna talk to people who maybe, um, if you're new to Christianity, or maybe you don't know Jesus very well yet, or maybe you've just come with a friend to church today, I wanna talk a bit about who God is and why would you even listen to him? I mean, like I've been saying, you have to listen to God and he'll tell you the truth, but maybe you don't know if he will tell you the truth, but maybe you don't know him that well yet. So I just wanna tell you a bit about God. God is love. So he doesn't love like a verb, he is, he is love. That's his person, his identity. And everything he does is love. It is impossible for God to not be love, right? And the things he does to not be love, everything he says is love. His anger is love. So his anger is not the angry, abusive kind of anger. His anger is the kind of anger that wants to protect us, that wants us to have the best in life, right? If we want to know what love is, we can look to Father God, Jesus and Holy Spirit, because they are love. And people ask, how can there be suffering in the world if God is love? If he's really a loving God, how can there be suffering? People ask that a lot. It's precisely because God is love that there's suffering in the world. This is because God created us. He wanted to share love with us. We started in love. He had so much love, he wanted to share it, and he wanted to like, share it with us. But the thing is, in order for us to love him, he had to give a choice. Because if he didn't give us a choice to love him or not, then we're just slaves, robots right? So he had to give a choice. We had a choice to love him or not. And so every time we sin, every time we do something wrong, we think or we say something wrong, we choose not to love him. The Bible says that obedience is love. And when we choose not to love God, but to do something else, suffering comes into the world. So every time we choose not to love God, suffering comes into the world. And God knew this before he created us. He knew that we would choose not to love him at different points. He knew it would lead to his son Jesus dying on the cross. Father God knew that he would experience the pain of losing a child. And he knew that Jesus would experience the pain of everyone suffering on the cross. More than that, 
he loves us and we are his kids. And when we suffer, he suffers. Sometimes people say, you know, when a child dies, the child goes to heaven. And so God's maybe not that sad because he knows that's best for the child. But that is only to cheapen God's love. That is not true. It's true that God knows everything, but the truth is God experiences the loss of a child just like we do. He experiences uh, a betrayal just like we do. He loves us and he experiences it more and he experiences every single person's suffering. Can you imagine having that much courage to be able to face not only our own suffering, but every single person's suffering? And now, can you imagine how much love he must have had to say, you are worth it. You are worth it. I will give you choice whether to love me or not. And I will experience all the suffering in the world so that you will know my love. See, a lot of people say God can't be a God of love. He can't be all powerful because of suffering. But they're starting in the wrong place. They're starting with suffering. Suffering's not the end of the story. Suffering's not the beginning of the story. Suffering's the middle of the story. He made us in love. We choose whether to love him or not. Suffering comes into the world when we don't love him. And then Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for all the suffering, to experience all the suffering so we don't have to anymore. That we can receive love from him and that we can live a life where more and more we love God, we choose to love him and there's less suffering and more peace. And in the end, Jesus and God, they're gonna throw suffering and death and sickness and sin and horrible words into the lake of fire where there's no more, there are no more. Like for eternity, there will only be peace and happiness and joy and love. And like we can choose that and we can choose not that. We can still choose not to love God. We can choose to hang on to the suffering. We can choose to hang on to the sin and the sickness. And then when we hang on to that, we are also thrown into the lake of fire because God wants eternity to be perfect because he loves us. It's his love, it's his love, it's his love that wants us to choose to love him, that wants us to choose him. And I just wanna encourage you, if you don't know God, that he loves you more than anyone else and he knows your suffering, your suffering, your pain. Did your father disown you and kick you out? He knows that pain. Did you lose a child? He knows that pain. Uh, do you not talk to your mother and you haven't talked to her for 10 years? He knows that pain. Do you have mental illness and you deal with voices telling you horrible things? He knows that pain and he loves you and thinks you're wonderful. And if you let him every morning, he will be mushy to you, telling you how he loves you and how wonderful you are and how great you are and how you don't have to change. You can be like you are right now, right now. Nobody will ever love you more than him. Ask anyone here who knows him. We will all tell you the same thing. Once you know the love of God, you cannot go back because he's so wonderful. So wonderful. <laughs> and so when we're asking God to show us the truth, that's the God we're asking, the God of love, the God who is love. 
So what we're gonna do today, we're gonna identify one ungodly belief we have, um, and we're gonna write it down. So one of the ones I used to have was, I'm ugly. And then we write down the godly belief, it's often just the opposite. So for me it was, I'm beautiful. But I have to tell you, that really sounded like a lie. Like now it sounds like the truth. But when I first understood that God said I was beautiful, and I would say, I'm beautiful, it sounded like I was lying to you. And I had to say it a lot, a lot, until it sounded true. And I had to listen to God a lot before it sounded true. So it's okay if it still sounds like a lie. That is okay. And then we're going to fine-tune them. We're going to ask God to reveal to us more about that godly belief. So when I asked him to reveal more to me, he revealed to me that I was a lily. And in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 1, the beloved is speaking, and my name Amanda means beloved, and it says, I am a rose of Sharon, I am a lily of the valley. And I was like, oh, that's me, I'm the beloved, I'm beautiful, hey, I'm beautiful. It sounded so weird then, but now I like it. So, <laughs> so I write down, you know, Song of Solomon, chapter two, verse one. And then we're gonna meditate on it. So I spoke last time when I spoke about meditation, how you take a verse and you think about it and every day, every day, every word. And so what I do is I write down my godly beliefs on a piece of paper. I do it at the beginning of every year, because now, and as they come up, I write, you can see some are in pen there. Those are the ones I didn't know on January 1st this year that I know now. <laughs> so I write them down and I say them every day until they sound real. And actually I do them all year, and then next year I do them again. And so some of them I have to keep because they still don't sound real. And some of them I know, so I don't have to keep doing them. So I'm gonna read you some of mine, you ready? Number one, I am doing well. Number two, uh, well, not number two, but one of the other ones, I listen for understanding and ask another question before replying. Because I used to think I wasn't a very good listener, so I wrote down. Um, I find things easily. I don't lose things. Yes, I lose things all the time. <laughs> that one still sounds like a lie to me, but I say it every morning. I find things easily. I do not lose things like the alumni pin they gave me on Thursday after graduation, <laughs> which I am still looking for, which I will find in Jesus' name. <laughs> you know, so I say, I find things easily in Jesus' name. I find things easily. I am blessed working with technology. It works for me the first time. <laughs> right, so, especially the photocopiers at school that I do not curse at ever. So, so, um, so you can do this, right? So I'm encouraging you today to do one, to do one of these ones. So uh, the next slide there. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna um, just break into groups of two or three with um, people that you know well. And I'm gonna ask um, the leadership team, if you could come up right now and just stand beside me up here at the front. Um, if you did not come with anyone you know well, or if you don't feel comfortable praying with anyone here, please come and pray with the leadership team. They would love, love to pray with you. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna pray this um, that's up on the board. So the person who's um, confessing the ungodly belief, you're gonna say, I confess my sin of believing the lie that, and then you say the ungodly belief. So if I'm doing it, I confess my sin of believing the lie that I always lose things. Then I pray the forgiveness. 
I forgive those who have contributed to my forming this ungodly belief. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me for receiving this ungodly belief, for living my life based on it, and for any way I have judged others because of it. Right? So if there's people who tell me, you always lose things, which there are, um, <laughs> then I would forgive them. Lord, I forgive my family for telling me that I always lose things. Right? And um, I forgive the boys who told me I was ugly, and I forgive the teachers who didn't um, make sure that I was treated well. Right? I forgive those people. I receive your forgiveness. On the basis of your forgiveness, Lord, I choose to forgive myself for believing the lie. And then I'm going to renounce it. I renounce and break my agreement with this ungodly belief that I always lose things. I choose to accept, believe, and receive the godly belief that I find things easily in Jesus' name. <laughs> okay, then under counselor's prayer, the person you're praying with is going to pray for you. Right? They're going to pray, in the name of Jesus, I command all effects of these ungodly beliefs to come to death at the cross of Jesus. Lord, I ask for these new godly seeds to take root in, and you say the person's name, Amanda's life. Lord, I pray that you help Amanda to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit and recognize when she is falling back into the old thought patterns. Lord, help her to renew her mind with your truth. Father, I pray that the godly thought patterns and habits would be fruit from today. I bless Amanda to walk in freedom. Amen. So we're just going to take maybe five minutes each with your partner or group of three and uh, pray this prayer.